Hello, beautiful girl. Hey, how's it going? Um, I was in a really, really, really bad mood today. Like, really, really spicy, huh? <laughs> I said this like a couple episodes. I'm scared to say things. She might take my phone away. <laughs> I had, you can tell that we've got a full moon in Aries because, like, everybody's energy is super combative and I don't respond well to that. I'm a match energy kind of girl and today was just a super off day and I like the second I walked out of my house I was just like yeah like everything set me off today everything and people fucking with me Mm -hmm. in ways that are just like not today Satan I'm not even in Aries. I'm a Leo. I'm not a cardinal sign. This moon is not supposed to be in, like affecting me like this. It's supposed to be cardinal signs. <laughs> and I'm like Leo, Leo, not I'm anyway. Of you right now. <laughs> so, but, but then this is what happened. It's late. It's like 10 o'clock our time. And it's not on the day that we normally record, but we have some pretty exciting things happening that we'll tell you about at the end of this episode. So we have to record tonight. You're exhausted. I'm exhausted. But we got a surprise in our post office box. We did. Miss Stacy. We love you so much. Oh my God, we love you so much. And not just for this reason, but we like really love this girl. And we would not know her if it was not because of this podcast. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't know her. Like our paths would never cross. She's in Cali, in California. We're here. But I mean, like I text this girl every day. Oh, I've been texting her the last couple of days. Yeah, she's like, I love this girl. I love her. Well, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about how one of the many things that Canada does like the best, better than anybody else is their coffee. Mm -hmm. Tim Horton's coffee. It's my favorite coffee. I haven't had it in 17, almost 18 years. Mentioned that on our episode. That girl mailed us some. She did, yeah. And so guess what I'm drinking? We have some coffee. Hold on, listen. Ah, <laughs> Tim Horton's coffee. It's so good. Canada, we love you. <laughs> Stacy. We love you. We love you. And you changed my attitude. And then I have a surprise for you. What? Lean back in your chair. You WD forty the chair. I WD forty. Oh, everyone's gonna miss our squeaky chair. So now I don't. I don't. I can't bitch about this. And I WD forty the doors and that like nothing squeaks. You do hate squeak. My kids were like, "Mom, what are you doing? And why does the house smell like that?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I found my WD forty. Yeah, I had a day too. It was like, I a couple days a week close at the car wash now, mm-hmm. which. It's fine. I mean, I get to work with Coral those days, so it's fine. But I got up late today because, I mean, I've worked like 90 hours in the last – I've been Uh working a ton. And I got up late. I went to bed at like 10 o'clock last night, and I didn't get up until like 10 o'clock this morning. Uh I have not slept that hard in a long time. You're tired. I am tired. And I got up, and bless my husband's heart, he was just trying to be helpful, but he started laundry – which he never does. <laughs> he never does the laundry. So I was very grateful for that. But I am getting changed and I'm looking on the, the bathroom counter and I was like, honey, where is my like sports bra and my work shirt, my work pants? He was like, oh, they're in the washer. I was like, I have to leave in 10 minutes. And he's like, don't you have other stuff? I'm like, no, no, I don't. I have two work <laughs> shirts. I have two. He's like, they'll probably be dry. I mean, it can't be that wet. He hands me a 
soaking wet shirt. Oh, no. And I'm like, Ugh. and then I find a shirt. I get, I go and I'm like, I'm just going to get a Starbucks. I'm just going to get a Starbucks. It'll be fine. I spill it on myself. Oh, no. And so he got many I hate today text messages today. You know, thank you so much, Brighton, for trying, but just don't. Or just do it on my off day. Or don't do it. Yeah, don't do it right before I go to work. Eek. Yeah. Yeah. Bless his heart. Hmm. He's trying to be helpful. Hmm. Well, I that I mean, I didn't go to work in wet clothes. I did go to work where I hate wet clothes. Oh my god, me too. I hate it. Nothing oh, will me too. piss me off more than oh. like my bottoms and my pants are wet right now and I'm it's like yeah. pissing me off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I I hear the you. The first thing I did when I came in is I like took my wet socks off and I'm like I <laughs> Sad pruny toes. Yeah, that's bad. It's bad. <laughs> um, so we've got um not an exciting case, but it's a really big case today that we were contacted several months ago um and asked to cover. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to dig in on this case. It's a case from the 70s, and there there just isn't very much which is so frustrating to me. And so <clears throat> I wrote the case today. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is going to come straight out of police reports because I think that police reports show um, like it's the best way to tell the story, I think. So yeah. you can actually see how it how it unfolds. But um, so I went through, I don't know, like 101 page documents um, trying to, I mean, like I had timelines written down and I, I've rewritten this episode probably four times Yeah, and it's a super frustrating case. Very, very frustrating. Um, it's one that really hits home with me mm-hmm. just because my ties with law enforcement and my, um, my ties to law enforcement. Yeah. Um, and my disdain for when it goes wrong and when cops behave in a particular way. But I tried really, really hard to be objective in this case. And I tried really, really hard to like, okay, just look at things really objectively and not get my mind focused on it's this person straight out of the gate. Um, but you'll see. You'll see what I'm talking about as I tell this story. <laughs> um, so tell everybody where they can find us. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Patreon, the Suspended Sentence Podcast. And our email is the Suspended Sentence Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you would like to purchase Tracy's book, IDP <laughs> and the 13 Components 2 Criminal Thinking, I second guess myself every time now. <laughs> Anywhere the books are sold, but preferably Barnes and Noble. <laughs> That's where you'll be able to find her second book. My second eventually. book. That's right. So. Okay, perfect. I'm Tracy. I'm Samantha. This is The Suspended Sentence. Um, At the end of this case or this episode, we will be conducting interviews with some people that were very, very close to this girl. Um, So if you are not already, head over to Patreon and start following us over there because a lot of of the interviews are going to be exclusive over there. Um. So just keep that in mind. But here we go. You ready? I'm ready. <clears throat> On or about 12.15 p.m., the below-signed officer, Officer Jackson, monitored a call from Deputy Fisher of what appeared to be a body floating on top of what is now called Forney Lake. 
I arrived on scene at approximately 12.45 p.m. also to see what appeared to be a body floating on top of the water. The civil defense was called and a crew and a boat was dispatched. Upon arrival of the civil defense team, a Mr. Kaufman and a Mr. Hopfinger arrived at approximately 1.40 p.m. and went into the water with, civil, with a civil defense boat and retrieved the body to the shoreline. In the meantime, the coroner was notified and he dispatched the assistant coroner, Dennis Court. Pictures were taken by De um, Deputy Schmidt. I'm going to say names wrong. I apologize for that. Dennis Court pronounced the body dead at 2.15 p.m. on the same date and also identified the body to be that of a white female. Also present at the scene was Sergeant Greer and Deputy Holling. After pictures were taken, the body was removed from the scene by gardeners and conveyed to their funeral home where the body was searched for possible evidence to her identity. The search revealed four rings, one class ring with Bellevue West inscribed and the initials SJC upon it. The other three rings were of little or of no significance as to the identity, identity at that time. Also, a postcard from Penny's department store, which had the name Rourke Kane on it and an address of 1419 North 38th Street, Belleville, Illinois. In the meantime, I was contacted by Deputy Phillips of our own department who stated that Corporal Mercerio had called and said that, the, that they, the Belleville PD, had a report of a missing girl whose description fit the body and also the clothing that she was last seen wearing. The missing report revealed the name of Sabrina Jean Kane of 419 North 38th Street, Belleville, a white female of the age of 18, and that she was the stepdaughter of a Belleville policeman, Fred Rourke. Sergeant Breed, also <clears throat> of the Belleville PD, then notified me at approximately 3.30 p.m. on the same day that he was out looking for Fred Rourke to bring him to our office. After I left the funeral home and returned to the office, Sergeant Breed arrived along with Fred Rourke, the stepfather of the deceased, at approximately 4.10 p.m. About the same time, Dennis Court, the deputy coroner who also works for Garner's Funeral Home, arrived at our investigator's office. Also present was Sergeant Robert Robinson of the Sheriff's Department. The stepfather, Fred Rourke, was asked to identify the rings that had been taken from the body. He positively identified the class ring as that of his stepdaughters and tentatively identified the other three. Mr. Rourke's reaction was seemingly very upset in spurts, meaning certain instances in the interview. When we then asked him to try and detail for us the last time that she was seen by him, Mr. Rourke stated that he had last seen her on the 5th of February, 1974, and at that time he and Sabrina were discussing her leaving his home and renting an apartment. He stated that he tried to talk, her, talk to her and asked her not to move out of the home, but she insisted in doing so. He further stated that she would not divulge to him or to her mother the problems that she had been having. Also that she had been staying away from home on the 2nd or 3rd of February and staying the night at their home on the 4th of February before her disappearance. Mr. Rourke stated that the first weeks of her absence, he had went everywhere he could think of looking for her. He had even gone as far as Tosco... Tosok, oh my gosh, Tos, Tuscola, <laughs> Illinois, her hometown. At one point in the interview, I asked Mr. Rourke of any knowledge of anyone having any reason for killing Mrs. Kane. In some kind of way, his interpretation 
that he got from my question was that I was asking if she was pregnant. His statement was, quote, you think she was pregnant? Hmm. My answer was, I did not insinuate that. At that point, Mr. Rourke started crying and swearing and made the statement, she was all I had. After reception of his last thing, <clears throat> the victim, <clears throat> Mr. Rourke decided that he wanted to see the clothing that she had on to be sure in his mind that it was his stepdaughter's. At this time, we decided to leave the office and went over to the Gardner Funeral Home. We arrived at the funeral home at approximately 5.15 p.m. on the same date at which the stepfather identified most of the clothing as follows. The slacks, the jacket, the panty girdle, and the underpants. He also made the statement that it hadn't been long since Sabrina had purchased the panties, which had Saturday written on them. He also positively identified the panty girdle as being hers. I will state the following that the other people were present at the time of the identification of the clothing. Sergeant Breed of the Belleville PD, Dennis Court, the assistant coroner, and another unknown attendant at the funeral home. Mr. Rourke then decided that he had to see the decomposed body. Mr. Court advised against it, but Mr. Rourke insisted. Mr. Cork and I, Deputy Investigator Jackson, then took him to see the body, which was in the garage of the funeral home. His reaction to seeing the body seemed normal for any person. After returning inside the funeral home, Sergeant Breed asked the subject if he could recognize the body. His only reply was, she doesn't have a face. After idle conversation about the situation, it was decided that he, Rourke, should notify his, his wife as soon as possible. I took him to his home at 6th and F Street and dropped him off. I will state at this time that Dennis Court, upon cleaning the body, stated that the subject had a bullet wound to the back, head, and shoulder. After returning to the office, I was notified that Sergeant Robinson was on his way to meet with the O'Fallon rescue team, which was dispatched by Sergeant Robinson and myself to drag the lake in which the body was found for further evidence or other clues to the perpetrator's identity. I arrived at the scene of the lake at approximately 6.15 p.m. and began processing the lake area. Mr. Gary Dernjevic was in charge. The search was initiated for approximately one hour with negative results as to other relative evidence. The search was concluded at approximately 7.20 p.m. At approximately 6.45 p.m., Mr. Rourke and one of the, his neighbors came to the scene of where the body of his stepdaughter had been recovered and asked if anyone had searched the area of the trestle on the same road, approximately one half mile west of the lake, for the victim's purse. We stated that we had not, and Mr. Rourke and his neighbor went down to the trestle and returned approximately 7.15 p.m., saying that they found nothing. I, Jackson, told him, Rourke, that I would contact him the next day. <clears throat> so... <clears throat> It's quite a way to open it, right? It is quite the way to open it. Sabrina Jean Kane was born May 2nd, 1955 to Colin Kane, who went by Corky, and Lorraine Thompson. Colin was born December 24th, 1935 in Carbondale, Illinois, which would have made him 19 when Sabrina, his first child, was born. Lorraine was born October 16th, 1936, and would have been just slightly older at 20 years old. The two would have another child, Kathy, who would enter the world on May 16, 1956, but sadly would pass away at just nine months old on February 16th. It's unknown what the cause of death was for Kathy, 
but the couple would split shortly afterwards. Colin will remarry to a woman named Beverly Stewart <clears throat> on October 1st, 1964, and they would live some 150 miles away from the town in which Sabrina would be raised with her mother. Now, immediately following the couple's breakup, Colin actually had custody of Sabrina, but sometime later, Lorraine would call him and plead with him to let her have Sabrina, saying, like, you can have more children and I can't. So reluctantly, he agreed to let Sabrina live with her mom. <clears throat> okay, so some 10 years later, Colin and Bev would have a son, Edward, Dennis Edward Kane, who would be born July 18th, 1966. He was born extremely premature, and um, unfortunately, he wouldn't live 12 hours. Mm -hmm. He died in the hospital about 12 hours after, afterwards, <clears throat> after he was born. Two years later, they would have a healthy baby girl, and they would name her Kimberly. Colin worked for General Electric for decades. He would pass away October 26th, 2013, at the age of 77. Lorraine also would remarry to a man six years younger than she by the name of Fred Rourke. He was only 14 years older than Sabrina and had no children of his own. 14 years older? Yeah. Yep. I'm not going to keep my opinion about that. Uh, <laughs> right. Lorraine worked as a waitress for over 47 years. She will also pass away March 28, 2008 at the age of 71. Lorraine and Fred would together raise Sabrina and live in Belleville, Illinois. Illinois, Belleville is located within the greater St. Louis area, for those that don't know where that is. Population is, was about thirty to 40,000 people at the time, um, and it was a nice low-crime town to raise a child. Yeah. Stuckey Township is where they actually lived, and it was just west of Belleville. What is up with all these cases that we cover are always townships. I, I never I heard of a township until <laughs> until we, we started doing this, right? Like that's yeah. so wild, right? It must be like that part of the country type. It must be, yeah, thing. like the older parts of the country. Yeah, perhaps, yeah. Weird, because here they're just like little towns. Yeah, just towns or counties. Right. Yeah, it's a little unincorporated area, like the outskirts of the main town. But to the locals, they'll refer to Tukey's Township as like Bellevue West because it's west of Belleville. Okay. okay. So you get it. Okay. So <clears throat> Lorraine would say that Sabrina and Fred had a great relationship, that Fred loved Sabrina like, like she was his own. He bought her whatever she wanted and did anything that he could to make her happy. Sabrina actually referred to Fred as, quote, dad, and she rarely in her whole life ever saw her biological father Colin at all. Fred was a police officer at the Belleville PD and had been for several years. At 16 years old, Fred bought Sabrina a car. You're going to love this. She loved the car and everyone knew that it was her because of how unique it was. It was a four-door 1969 Plymouth Satellite, which I'm sure you have no idea what that, is. No idea what that is, <laughs> that he paid $481.44 for. Okay, but that is obviously not what made it unique. The car had a flowered vinyl top on it. Oh, cool. Right? So everybody, I mean, like, it was super unique. She loved this car. She yeah. loved it. Almost as much as she loved the horse that Fred bought her. Fred's parents, who Sabrina referred to as grandma and grandpa, had some land not far away where she kept her horse, and she loved that horse, and she loved to ride, and she loved to be at that farm. 
She also really loved her friends, but she didn't have like really close friendships or like lifelong friends. She didn't go out. She didn't party. She didn't like, she just didn't do that. She wasn't, she didn't really leave the house very often. So like me, like you have your your friends, you have your friends that you keep in touch with, but I'm not like, I don't leave my house. Right. And they're not like no intimate details of your life. And Mm -hmm. you know, you don't call them when shit gets real. You know what I mean? Like you just kind of, yeah, friends, your friends. Right. She also had two jobs and she was working really, really hard at getting out on her own and standing on her own two feet. I she, love that. I, I love that. Absolutely. She graduated from Bellevue Township High School West in May of 1973 and continued to work full time at Midwest Home Savings and Loan and part time in the evenings for Kmart Grocery. Wow, what a badass. Yeah, for real. At, um, at work, both places would say that she was hardworking, she was nice, and the people really liked her. Um, she was never combative, never threw an attitude, just like a really genuine, nice girl. Mm-hmm. And just like every child, every person, when they graduate from high school, they do what you want to do, right? Like you're excited about getting your own place and, and moving out and, and being on your own. But this topic was a pretty sore spot in the home. And it will be discovered in the next 10 months will honestly raise more questions than answers to these questions, to to all of it, right? Mm -hmm. Fred will tell police that he talked to Sabrina about 1 p.m. on February 5th. Then she walked away from home angry at him. She would not be reported missing until March 22nd. So the last time he sees her is February 5th. Mm -hmm. That's a long time to not see somebody. Yeah. The reasoning that was given, though, is that she always left home like she'd get mad and she'd stomp off. She always came back. But she didn't have her vehicle. She didn't have her purse or any money. So the family expected her to return. Right. They couldn't report her as a runaway, as a runaway right? She's 18. I mean, she's not like a child in danger. She's an adult. She's a grown-ass girl. And there was no reason, according to them, to believe that she wasn't safe. But, but you just mentioned <clears throat> she doesn't have her car or her purse. Right. In fact, she was not safe. I'm sorry. If I, I'm, I'm a grown-ass woman. Oh. If I <sighs> up and disappeared and you didn't see me for over a month and a half. If I didn't see you. you knew f- I didn't oh, yeah. have my car or my purse. Right. Oh, my God. E- my reaction would be, com- even, if, even if we were in a fight, especially if we were in a fight. If I had not heard from you, for you in like 12 hours. But, but if you lived with me, you that's know what I mean? That's even weirder. Yeah. Right. Right. That's, right. that's shady. Right. Right. So she went missing on February 5th. She was reported missing on March 22nd. And on April 20th, 1974, Sabrina's body was found floating on the surface of a pond on Hilbert C. Forney's property, just right off of Town Hall Road. Shortly after noon by two Belleville men, <clears throat> James Werner and, say his name, Cletius, Cletius Ramsey. Ramsey. Yeah. <clears throat> so Werner and Ramsey said that they had been tar- target shooting on the Forney property. And as they were walking along the edge of the pond, they noticed a fully clothed and decomposed body in two and a half feet of water. Okay, so pretty shallow little area there. Very shallow. Yep. They immediately called for sheriff deputies. Sabrina had been shot three times, once in the head, once in the back, and once in the shoulder. 
three bullets were fired, or the bullets were fired from either a 32 caliber or a 38 caliber weapon. Sabrina's hands had been tied behind her back, and a rope, the kind of rope that you hold on to when you're water skiing, that kind of rope, mm-hmm. was tied to her waist. The other end of the rope was attached to a concrete block. Now comes the so, time. <clears throat> she shot three times and somebody wanted to make sure she didn't come back up to the surface. Right. Well, in two and a half feet of water, you gotta, gotta make sure she stays down, right? So now comes a task of putting together the pieces, right? Mm-hmm. To a murder of a young lady, possibly months after the murder takes place. The odds are completely stacked against law enforcement. The body has been in water, so right. fingerprints, yep, fingerprints, hair, skin, any clue, clues, most likely all evidence that could have been are gone. Yeah, if there was even if there was a sexual assault, that evidence is gone. It's gone. It's, it's gone. Yeah. And remember, we're talking about 1970. So DNA is not a thing and technology is not what it is today. So by a long shot. Mm-hmm. By a long shot. So as law enforcement begins to try and put a timeline together of Sabrina's whereabouts for the last seven weeks, they begin with interviews. And it's pretty standard, right? To start with those that are closest to her. Closest to the victims. Absolutely. So they begin with Sabrina's mother and stepfather. Okay. Right. Especially since her stepfather's the last person to see her alive. That we know. Right. That we know, right? But we're just beginning. Right. But he didn't say that it was a fight. That he just said she took off walking. She wanted to move out. I didn't want her to. She threw a fit and walked away. So I mean we don't know that we don't know. We don't know yet. Nobody knows yet. And remember, he's a cop, so it's going to be in his favor coming out of the shoot. Right. Okay? So Fred Rourke and his wife arrive, and Mrs. Rourke was interviewed first. She, Mrs. Rourke, was asked by the interviewing officers, this is straight from the reports. I tried to paraphrase this, but I did it zero justice. So I am going to read this straight from the police reports, okay? Okay. Okay. She was asked by the interviewing officers, Chief Deputy Paul Klinkar, Ray Heer, and the reporting officer about her activities on the date of her daughter's disappearance, February 5th, 1974. She related the following. Mrs. Rourke said that she arrived at work at Chinook's Market, where she received a call from Sabrina. Sabrina's call called her at 8 a.m. and then called her, Miss Rourke, again at 9 a.m., and stated that she was going to the Bank of Bellevue to see Patty Linton. Sabrina also said that she was going to Patty Linton's apartment. Sabrina called again at approximately 11 a.m. and told her mother that she had been calling about some apartments that were advertised in the newspaper as for being for rent. Miss Lorraine Rourke was asked how her husband Fred Rourke would take it if Sabrina left home, and her answer was, quote, he might not like it. But if it would make Sabrina happy, he, Fred, would help her, unquote. Miss Rourke further stated that, quote, Fred was always doing things to make Sabrina happy, unquote. Miss Rourke was told by the interviewing officers that they had received information that Fred and Sabrina's relationship was more than a stepfather-stepdaughter relationship. When asked if this was true, Miss Rourke replied, no. Then reminded of different, when reminded of different occasions, Mrs. Rourke had a ready answer and claimed that while all the while that Fred wanted to make Sabrina happy, Miss Rourke was asked 
if though Fred had had or had tried to initiate an intimate relationship with Sabrina, Miss Rourke replied, no. Miss Rourke went on to say that she knew that the interviewing officers were going to ask that question and that she was not mad because they were just doing their jobs. Miss Rourke was asked what time she arrived home from work on February 5th, and she stated that approximately 1.15. <clears throat> when questioned further and told that Fred was seen around 1.30 p.m., she, Miss Rourke, stated that she thought maybe it might have been around 1.45 or possibly 2 because she had driven by the panoramic, panoramic, whatever, bowling lanes to pick something up and then drove home. She was asked if Fred was home when she got there, and she replied yes. Miss Rourke also stated that when she arrived home, Fred told her that Sabrina had left. He also told her that Sabrina had, quote, just walked out the door and would not tell him what the trouble was. Miss Rourke stated that when she went out, that then she went out to her car and she went to drive around to look for her daughter. She looked for approximately two hours. Miss Rourke then asked if she would take a lie detector test, and she said that she would. Investigator Jackson arrived back at the office and stated that the slugs taken from Sabrina Kane's body were that of a th um, 38 caliber, and it came from a Spanish, French, or German automatic. It was known by the interviewing officers that Fred Rourke carried a 38 automatic when he was off duty. The reporting officer had been told by some of Fred Rourke's friends and fellow officers that Rourke was, quote, a hothead, and he had a, quote, hot temper, and it would blow up at the slightest provocation. Okay? okay. The interviewing officers called Fred Rourke in. Rourke was asked if he could recall the events or activities on Tuesday, Jan um, February 5th, and Mr. Report Rourke replied that the day's events were quite vivid in his mind. He stated that he had finished his tour of duty as a Belleville police officer and arrived home at 6.30 a.m. or so. He knew Sabrina wanted to leave home, and he wanted to try and talk her out of it. <clears throat> Sabrina got up around 8 a.m., called her mother at work. She called her employer, Midwest Savings Loan, telling them that she, would sick, she was sick and she would not be into work. <clears throat> Rourke um, further stated that she, Sabrina, had made some more calls, but he could not hear to who they were. Rourke then stated that he tried to persuade Sabrina not to leave. After she refused, he told her that he would help her. He advised her not to just take any apartment, but to get a nice one. He stated that Sabrina had then left home <clears throat> at approximately 9.30 or 9.45 that morning. He further stated that around noon, he called Patty Linton at her place of employment, which was Bank of Belleville, mm -hmm. several times before several times before she called him back. So I just want like called her several times. Like <laughs> what? Like you call and leave a message, right? But right, he's you're calling her place of he's employment. He's so freaking persistent. Anyway, she returns his call a little after noon. He stated that Patty told him that Sabrina was at her apartment and suggested that he might go and talk to her. Work stated that he went to Lyndon's apartment and he was admitted by Sabrina. <clears throat> Rourke asked Sabrina if she would go home so that they could talk, and she agreed. Sabrina wrote a note telling Pat Patty Linton where she was going. Rourke further stated that upon arrival at his home, he and Sabrina went in the front door. He, Rourke, sat on the couch, and Sabrina sat on the arm of the chair by the front door without taking off her coat. Rourke stated that Sabrina asked, or he asked Sabrina what the matter was and if they could discuss it. 
He stated that Sabrina would not answer him, and she got up and walked out the front door. She walked towards West Main Street. He had been telling the interviewing officers how much he loved Sabrina, how he thought he was protecting her. He stated that he made a vow when he married her mother that no one would ever hurt her again. He stated how hurt she was before he came to her. Whatever. Rourke was... Sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I'm trying to be objective. <laughs> Rourke was asked why he didn't go look for her after, he left, after she left, if he loved her so much. He replied that he didn't know. He also at, was asked when Sabrina's mother had gone out looking for her, why he didn't go. He again replied he didn't know. He, Rourke, said that he was just hurt after all he had done for her. Chief Paul Clincar <laughs> asked Rourke to point blank, <clears throat> point blank if he had tried to have or had ever had sexual relations with Sabrina. He says, Paul, that's not true. Rourke never showed resentment through the entire interview. Questions were asked about the skiing line and the rope. He stated, you can search my boat, my house, anything. Rourke was told that Sabrina was shot with the Llama 38 automatic and three slugs were recovered. And would he let the officers check his 38 automatic for ballistics? He replied that he would, <clears throat> but he did not have the gun on him. He said the officers could go to his residence and he would give them the gun. The officers agreed to go with Rourke and his wife <clears throat> in the beginning of the interview and asked him if like, he would take a polygraph, which he refused. About the middle of the interview, he again would ask if he would take a polygraph, and he stated that he would. And again at the end of the interview, he was asked if he would consent to a polygraph, and again he said, yes, I have nothing to hide. Chief Paul Clincar rode with the Rourkes back to their residence and the reporting officer rode like in a separate vehicle behind them. Mm -hmm. Upon arrival at the Rourke's house, <clears throat> Rourke's boats were examined to see if the lines that were on them were the same type that was on Sabrina's. But they're all the same, you know, like... Yeah, they're all very similar. I, yeah, I mean, it's all, especially in a small place like that, like <clears throat> there's, yeah... So the next person that would be interviewed will be Sabrina's boyfriend. His, he goes by Bob. His name is Robert Gel, um, Delger, but everybody calls him Bob, okay? okay? Now, they had only been together for two months before she went missing. They started dating in December, and she went missing in February. <clears throat> so they didn't have a whole lot of time together to, I mean, I'm not saying that you can't get really close to somebody in two months, but knowing just what we know now about Fred and his control and how much she worked, et cetera. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much this dude really knew about her or right. her situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. So two months is not a lot, a lot of time. It's right. just, it's not a lot of time. <clears throat> At approximately 4 PM, the reporting officer and investigator, investigator Jackson interviewed Robert, who was 20 he was the boyfriend of Sabrina Kane at the time of her disappearance. He related the following. On Sunday, February 3rd, in the afternoon, he had taken Sabrina to a friend's house in O'Fallon, Illinois, because she, Sabrina, wanted to leave home. She stated this was because of her stepfather, Fred Rourke. Rourke, according to him, 
would not allow Sabrina, who at the time of her disappearance was 18 years old, graduated from high school, like, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. That he would not allow her to go on dates, go to friends' homes, or any of the normal activities of a person of that age. Bob also stated that sometime after the 1st of December that he noticed Sabrina was becoming nervous. And when he asked her what was wrong, she would reply, just nothing. Around Christmas time, Sabrina's spirits picked back up and then seemed to fall again. He stated that on the 3rd of February, Sabrina called her mother, Lorraine, and Lorraine promised Sabrina that if she would come home, that she would help her find an apartment and help her move her clothes. Sabrina had $50, which she had given to her mother. He also stated that Lorraine told Sabrina to call Patty Linton and have Patty bring her home instead of Bob so Fred wouldn't be mad. Sabrina called Patty Linton to arrange Patty for and her husband Kurt to meet her and Bob at the park. Patty and Kurt then took Sabrina home. Before leaving the sheriff's office, the reporting officer, Investigator Jackson, um, asked, I'm sorry, before leaving the sheriff's office, the reporting officer asked Investigator Jackson to see the block and rope which was found attached to the body. The concrete block was a common type, weighing approximately 50 pounds. The rope, made of nylon, was quarter-inch, twine, white, with a red diamond-shaped thin line. It's a kind that's commonly used in water skiing. The knots in the line were knots used in boating or construction. A square knot was used to fasten the line to the block. A double half-hitch was around the body. Concrete blocks are used by the owners of pickup trucks to weigh down the bed of trucks for more traction in the winter months and snow and mud. Bob was asked if any of Sabrina's friends had a pickup truck or a boat. He replied that Sabrina's stepfather, Fred, owned a pickup truck and also owned a boat. That he, Fred, and Sabrina often water skied together. Bob also stated that Sabrina... On February 4th, that he met her at the Kmart store, and she told him that she was going to leave home and nothing was going to stop her, that she could not wait to get away from her stepfather, and she was going home to get her clothes, that she was done and she was out of there. He offered <sighs> Sabrina the use of, her, of his car, but she refused. Bob stated that he did not see or hear from Sabrina again until Tuesday, February 5th, At approximately 10.30 a.m., he stated that he was told by Sabrina that she would call him around 6 p.m. He also said that she was going to spend the night with Patty and Kurt Linton and that Patty, when Patty got off work, then Patty and Sabrina were going to go look for an apartment together. The officers described the clothing that Sabrina was found in, and he stated that it was the same clothing that Sabrina had on the last time that he saw her in the Kmart parking lot on May 5th. Or on, not May 5th, February 5th. So then the investigator, after he has this interview with Bob, he goes over to Linton's. Right. I mean, immediately. Yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, around her, it seems like the most. Mm -hmm. So they go to the apartment and Kurt is there, but his wife, Patty, was not at home. So... Kurt was a student at the university there and a part-time employee of the Chris of a store there. Okay. He stated that his wife, Patty and Sabrina were schoolmates and had remained friends after graduation. 
He further stated that on Saturday night, he and his wife received a call from Sabrina asking them if they would meet her and Bob at the park and also asked if they would take her home. They told her that obviously they would. They'd be happy to do that. But Linton further stated that um, at approximately 10 a.m. or 10.15 a.m., she, Sabrina, asked if he could pick her up at the National Food Store he again agreed that he would, right? She doesn't have a car. Everybody knows the situation, but nobody's saying anything. So when Sabrina called and asked for something, like they helped her, right? So <clears throat> he drove to the Kmart store where Sabrina gets out, right? Are you confused? You're making What a... happened to her car? I'll 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 tell you. Okay. <clears throat> I'll tell she you. She has the cool car. She does have she does have the cool car. I'll tell you. Okay. I'll tell you what happens after this, okay? So Linton stays in the car. He drives her to the Kmart parking lot. Sabrina gets out. He stays in the car. He told her that she just wanted to talk to Bob. After about 20 minutes or 30 minutes, she came out and they drove back to their apartment. Okay. Kurt Linton's wife, Patty, arrived home for lunch at approximately 1140 and fixed lunch for the three of them. She then left at approximately 12 noon to go back to work. Um, She stated... <clears throat> that he started to do the, or he stated that he started to do the dishes, um, but Sabrina said she'd do them instead. He stated that he, he began messing with the phonograph thing and decided to go to the Plaza Shopping Center to get a new like needle for it. I don't know what that is, but it's the seventies, whatever. Mister Linton thought that he left his apartment around twelve fifteen. After getting the needle, he was coming out of the shopping center, waiting to make a left turn to go east on the bypass when he saw Sabrina and her stepfather go by in front of him. They, Sabrina and Fred, were going west on the bypass Route 50 towards West Main Street at approximately 1230 or at 1235. Okay, so that's the time when Fred says he went to their apartment and and she left with him, okay? So um, he, Mr. Linton, also recognized Sabrina's long blonde hair from the driver's side of the Plymouth as her stepfather, Fred Rourke, okay? So Mr. Linton then started driving to his apartment, and he remembered that he had given Sabrina the key to his apartment, so he drove on to work and was just like, she'll come back when she's done, whatever, everything's copacetic, whatever, she's probably fine, okay? So <clears throat> so then they go to work, and they're conducting interviews with like as many people as, as they can, okay? And everybody is saying pretty much the same dialogue, okay, that that Fred is just super abusive. He's super controlling. She wasn't, she wasn't allowed to do anything, to do anything. Right. But like one of the ladies at work actually said that he was so controlling and so over the top that there was one time that Sabrina came to work crying and they were like, baby, what's the matter? Right. And she's like, nothing, you know, whatever. But she had put on makeup and Fred didn't like it. He thought that she had too much makeup on, whatever. So he goes up to her, licks his hands, and rubs it off of her face. And basically says, you're not leaving my house like this. Right? And so all of these, like he he didn't let her, he was pissed that she had a boyfriend. He didn't want her to have a boyfriend. He didn't want her to go out. He didn't want like complete control over this girl. Like, he didn't want her to do normal 18-year-old girl things. Right. There was one story of one time that she was out with three of her girlfriends in high school and was just in a parking lot of like a hamburger stand. 
and he flipped shit. Like, absolutely flipped shit when they got back to the house. He was like, you girls are never coming back to my house again. You're not welcome here. Da-da-da-da-da. I mean, absolutely lost his mind. Okay, so, but this is the gig, right? Like, it's a small town and he's a cop. Right. Okay, so there's an implied fear there that's very, very real. Real. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, okay, I, w- I was married to a cop. <laughs> right. In a small town. So how does that feel like? Like, you can resonate with that. Like, 100%. people, you don't get invited to parties. You don't get... You know, I mean, there's there's definitely some shit that you comes. You get kind of isolated because of that. You bet. Now, a lot of the things that he that he does, like I can I can almost relate to as a mother. Like, okay, just give him the benefit of the doubt and try and stay objective. Okay, try and stay objective. I remember very very vividly. Well, and still to this day, there's a park in town here that my children are not allowed to go to. It's a popular park. Everybody goes there. My children are not allowed to go there. Mm-hmm. Not allowed to go there. When you were growing up, you were not allowed to go to the skate park. Right. And when you went to the skate park... I think we've told the story. We have told the story. <laughs> like, I absolutely lost my shit. And I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm controlling, but I am very... I mean, I'm in my kid's shit. Yeah. Right? And so perhaps that's what it is. I don't, I don't know. And it was the seventies. So, I mean, I don't know. However, this is what I do know is that at 18, like she's out of high school, bro. Right. She's a young woman. Like I was excited for you to move out on your own, not because I wanted you to leave my house, but because I was excited for you to spread your wings. Right. Like his, his relationship with her does not sound healthy. And he's the stepfather. I'm sorry. Like I'm not trying to I'm not trying to do that, but Right. And I if mean, her mom isn't being this intense, like Right. Lead where you're follow like follow where you're led. <laughs> right. Like you know, I mean, I don't know. And you know, I mean, being a cop, maybe maybe he knows and that's why my kids aren't allowed to go to that specific park is because I know about the drugs that are there. I know about the criminal activities that's there because of my line of work. So perhaps that hamburger place was like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the reasoning right, behind it. but also with that, okay, so she wants to move out. Yes, as a, like, officer, you probably know which apartments <clears throat> you get most calls to. You probably, sure. like, so Absolutely. help her like that. Right. Help her... Go look at apartments in safe areas mm-hmm. that you know that you don't get called to a bunch. Right. Right. Run a background check on the boyfriend if that makes you feel more comfortable. Right. But unless like, unless the crime is just so horrible in that town that you don't want your child to leave your house. I don't know. Right. I don't know. Like, I'm trying to give this dude the benefit of the doubt. But, I mean, I, 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 I tried. I tried really, really hard to. And I tried to rationalize it out in every way possible so that I would stop focusing on that and focus on something else. And I just can't. I just can't. The autopsy was completed on April 21st. And the report states that, and this is a quote, on several occasions during the day of the autopsy, I was contacted by Fred Rourke, who was very interested in our office searching the crime scene again and stated that he wanted to be there when they did. Okay. 
Here's another issue that I have with with this. I mean, from the very, very beginning, okay, is any person that's in law enforcement or any sort of, of emergency response team of any sort, of any kind, we know that if a family member or a close friend is involved in any crime or criminal activity or anything, if they are the main focus of any investigation, we step the fuck away. Right. You get out, uh, you get off the scene. The reason is clearly, number one, our emotions are going to skew and they're going to alter the results. Number two, <laughs> I mean, it, it's going to mess with the integrity of the investigation. 100%. We all want to know what is happening. We all want to know what's going on clearly and obviously, but, but we want more than that. We want justice and we know, we know this. Anybody that's in this line of work or in this field knows if we are there, the results are going to be jaded. Right. And it's, we're going to do more damage than we do good if we're innocent. Right. That's the caveat right there. If we're innocent, we step away and we have confidence that the people that we work with will do the job that they're trained to do. Right. If, right? But pretty early in the investigation, law enforcement began thinking the exact same thing that we're thinking right now, the exact same thing. And as hard <laughs> as you try to stay objective, there is way too much that points at Fred, way too much from the get-go, straight out of the gate. Right. So investigators go to the chief and they say, yo, man, this is not looking good. Like, look at what we got. There's, I mean, like, just look at this. This does not look good. Okay, now the PD in Belleville at this time, like they were already like not having good press. Like they already had some shit going on in their department, like some pretty bad shit. Really? I mean, yeah, like there's, there's a point in time that, most officers were fired. I mean, they had some really, really sketchy shit going on at this time. And so already people are watching them. And so they go to the chief and they're like, yeah, this, this is not, this does not look good. So the chief brings Fred in and he tells him, Hey man, like (laughs) you got to do this lie detector test and you got to produce that gun immediately to clear your name. Like, we got pressure on us. So when they went to the house, he didn't give them the gun? I'm going to tell you. No, no, no. They, he didn't. I'm going to tell oh, you why. so much happening. I know. It's, there was a lot, and it's hard to get everything in chronological order because everything is all over the place, right? <clears throat> so, um, so he tells them, again, like, you got you to produce that, right? The chief tells them, we need your 38 caliber gun so that it can be tested against the bullets that were found in Sabrina's body. To rule you out, dude. To rule you out. Exactly. And this is when he tells him, yeah, man, I don't know what happened to that gun. I lost it. That's so crazy because, like, it went missing the same time Sabrina went missing. I don't know where it's at. Bizarre, right? And, yeah, like, 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 kick rocks, bro. I'm not taking that polygraph. You're an officer of the law. (laughs) Isn't that, like, the number one thing that's, like, drilled into your head is, like, gun safety? Duh. No. Right. You don't know what happened to your gun? 
Your you gun is just gone. You lost a gun that you were known to carry every time you were off duty. That just happens to be the same caliber of gun that killed your stepdaughter. I would be finding that goddamn thing. Right? Again, if, a gun that you are known to always have on you when you're not on duty. And then says, not only can I not find my gun, but I'm not taking that polygraph. And the chief is like, you have to. We have to clear your name. And he's like, yeah, kick rocks, bro. Wow. So the chief is like, okay, well, I don't have a choice. Like, I have to let you go then. He's like, um, no, I mean, we'll just do like paid suspension or whatever until it's over. And he's like, no, man, like, if you're not, no, (laughs) like, you're fired. Give me your badge. Give me your gun. Like, you're out of here. You're done. So he's fired. He lawyers up. Okay, so investigators get a search warrant and they're like, okay, well, we know that his parents own land. We know that he shoots out there, that he target practices out there. So they get a search warrant to go out there and to dig through the dirt, basically, and hope to God that they find a shell casing to one of the to I mean, one of the bullets. That's pretty smart, actually. It's very smart. Okay, so for those who don't know a whole lot about guns. I have a 357 revolver. 357s when you shoot them will knock you on your ass. <laughs> like it's a it's a it's a very very powerful gun, okay? And especially being a revolver, right? 357s can shoot 38 caliber bullets. Oh, uh, okay. So even though I have a 357, I shoot 38 specials out of it. They're interchangeable. So the 38 caliber gun I mean it's not like you can only shoot one bullet and one whatever out of one sp- I mean it's it's a pretty hard gun honestly like to track something down with mm-hmm. okay and I feel like it's a very common <clears throat> gun too especially back then yeah for sure for sure so they go out to his to his parents house they get the search warrant they dig around in the dirt they find spent shells. They send them off to ballistics. Unfortunately, all the tests were inconclusive. They gave a possibility of a match, but not a certainty of a match because of what I just said. Right. Like you can't, you you can't tell. If I shoot thirty eights out of my three fifty seven, I mean, <clears throat> you, I mean, I I don't know. But his behavioral response. sets up huge red flags to investigators. He is now the prime suspect. But all of the evidence that they have is completely circumstantial. Right. Okay. They've got the concrete blocks. They've got the rope. They've got the gun. They've got the conflicting stories. They've got the, you know, the things that Sabrina had said to Oliver. And they've got all of this stuff that's like, you did it, bro. You or if you didn't do it, you know what happened. Right. And but none of it is concrete. None of it is. Not a single thing meets the legal definition of beyond a reasonable doubt. Nothing. Right. <clears throat> and then when we look at the timeline, that that's even that's even more confusing. Nothing adds up. Nothing makes sense. And it's absolutely clear absolutely clear like I just said that more than one person knows more than one detail and they're not saying it and if if they would have 
because I think that they're probably dead now, this, this case would have been solved. Yeah. hundred percent. So on February 4th, Sabrina puts in a full day's work at Midwest Homes and that evening worked at Kmart. February 5th, she's gone and not at work. Right. Okay. So the days immediately before she disappeared, appeared, she told her friends, coworkers, and boyfriends, she said this to multiple people, that she was leaving home specifically because she could not stand to be under the roof as Rourke any longer. Like specifically said that. Specifically said it's because of him. Right. Multiple witnesses stated Sabrina <clears throat> stated that she hated her stepfather because he was controlling and violent. Mm-hmm. Violent. Not not a violent. That's the word she used. Not only to her, but to her mother also. But all the loving, kind things that Fred did to her, right? Like buying her a car, a horse, etc. He only did to create leverage. Oh. Okay, so to take it away from her if she didn't do what he wanted her to do. Right? That I mean, honestly, like that's the scenario. That was the scenario at the time of her disappearance. He took her car away. So that she didn't have any means to move her stuff out. Oh, okay. He said no. He said no. And she said, I'm going to. And he was like, well, the car's in my name. So give me the keys. Give me the keys, Tootsie Pop. And he also threatened at that time to take her horse away and sell it and to get rid of it. There was one time that she was with her boyfriend, Bob, that she was like, can we just go and drive by the farm so that I can see if my horse is still there? Because he threatened, to, he threatened to give it away. He threatened to, to get rid of it. Yeah. Everything that she loved, he would take away from her yeah. if she didn't do what he wanted her to do. He was, at best, emotionally abusive. Um, and 100%. At best, yeah. At uh, best. At best. So her boyfriend, <clears throat> Bob, had not seen her since February 2nd. That weekend, the February 2nd, February 3rd. Okay, Deller today describes Miss Kane as... Quote, just about the straightest, straightest girl I had ever known. He had, like I said, he'd only been dating her since December, so just a couple months. <clears throat> but he had said that he had never known her to do anything illegal or to do drugs or anything like that. He also said, though, that he doubted that she had any intention of actually leaving the house on February 5th because she didn't have any money and she wasn't driving her car. Yeah. And then... He was super reluctant to discuss her any further. All he would say is, quote, just say she's really nice. (laughs) Your face. This is really bizarre to me for a couple reasons. Number one, we know that Fred and Bob went on a drive together to, quote, look for Sabrina, okay? Nothing is clear about exactly what that conversation was in that car. Mm -hmm. Bob says that Fred really wasn't interested in looking for her. Like he says that, but, but he doesn't elaborate on what, like his, what he thought his intention was in going for the drive, what they talked about, what the tone was like, what the conversation was, where they went for the drive, what the, I mean, like nothing. Right. Okay. But everybody knows that Fred didn't like Bob. Right. So why would he, he didn't go looking for Sabrina with his wife, but he would go with the boyfriend? Yeah. I want to know what that conversation was. Yeah, me too. 
Did he threaten him? Probably. Was he scared of him? Was he like, uh, what, what was that conversation? What happened in that car? Like this boy knows something. In my opinion, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know. Also, is what do you mean she didn't have any money? She's working two jobs. She had two freaking jobs. How does she not have any money? Did she have to pay rent to, to Fred? Did they like take her paychecks? Did they, I mean, how in the hell did she not have any money? I don't, right. I don't get that. How did she not have any money? She graduated in May. This is February. So she at least had June, July, August, September, October, November, December, eight months of working more than full time. And even at 425 an hour, which is probably what minimum wage was back then or three, whatever. I don't know. I mean, she's still making, I mean, she was, she still was making probably six, $700 a month. Right. At a minimum. So, I mean, why did she not have any money? Right. I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand that, but, but, and why won't he talk to anyone or elaborate? Why, why? I get that they were only together for two months. Like, I get that. Maybe, maybe he just didn't know anything, but he does. Yeah, he knew a lot at the beginning. Right. So it doesn't, like, this, that doesn't, it doesn't, it's not sitting with me. It's not sitting well with me. Yeah. At all. I, and seriously, like, did Fred threaten him in some way? Did he, or was he involved in some way? I mean, I don't want to throw that out there, but I mean, those that have nothing to hide, hide nothing. Yeah, unless he was scared of Fred. Right. I don't know. <clears throat> so, I, I don't know. I don't know. But, but here's the other thing, okay? Not at one time. Like, she doesn't show up to work on February 5th. Nobody reports her missing. Yeah. Nobody? everybody's got something to say two months later when her dead body is found, but nobody from work, nobody, none of her friends, none of her, nobody reports her missing. No one reports her, not even to do a welfare check on her. Well, especially since everybody was saying that they knew that Fred was violent and didn't want her to leave. Right. And nobody, like, she just goes completely, she's calling her friends two or three times a day to give her rides places. Everybody knows her car. Everybody knows whatever. She's dependable and reliable at work. She just straight doesn't show up one day to her full-time job and her part-time job. Nobody hears from her again and nobody reports it. Right. No one. Can someone please explain that to me? Yeah. I mean, I get she didn't have super close friends and I get, but even work, nobody calls Nobody calls the police department and says, yo, like, I don't know. Like. Especially with how many people knew her situation. Right. I mean, like I said, everybody's got something to say when she comes up floating in a pond, but nobody has anything to say for two fucking months. Yeah. I'm sorry. Everybody's got a little bit of accountability and responsibility in that. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I agree. And here's the other thing. Is her biological father, Colin, remember who he is? He was never contacted. And then nobody ever contacted ever. Colin? Not until her body was identified did he even know that she was missing. 
So you're telling me that a man that is super fucking controlling, that won't even let her drive through a parking lot of a hamburger stand, she goes MIA for two months and he hasn't turned over every damn stone in the state, that he doesn't have the damn National Guard looking for her? Bullshit. Yeah, I agree with that. That you're not even going to, at a minimum, make contact with her bio dad and say, yo, does she happen to show up? Like, we don't know where she's at. Right. Like, you don't even have enough respect Which or common like- courtesy to freaking call her biological father. Well, and that seems like a place that she would, I mean, if she really had nowhere else to go, if she had no money, you're going to turn <laughs> to the other parent. You know, I don't know. I don't know because I don't know that dynamic. I'll tell you, I'm about to talk to Kim's sister or to Sabrina's sister, Kim, and I'm going to ask her those questions, but it's from my understanding that Kim had only seen Sabrina like three times her whole life. So I don't know. But is that because of Fred or is that, I mean, that's I don't a know. good question for Kimberly, it's, but. Right. But you would think, you would think if this man had gone everywhere looking for her, but that's a, somewhere you would turn. Right. Right. And if he had gone everywhere looking for her and she was nowhere, you would think that the PD, he's an officer. You would think that literally everyone would be out looking for her. Right. Like I that would don't. That be a conversation with your partner. That would be a conversation, at, you know what I mean? Like... But I don't understand. No one did anything. Yeah. She literally just vanished. vanished. And nobody gave a fuck? I mean, what did anybody do? What did anybody do? Yeah. I, and maybe maybe they did. And maybe I just don't know. And maybe those answers will come in the interviews that we're about to conduct tomorrow. I hope so. I hope that someone did something. Mm-hmm. If not, <laughs> I, that would be pretty damn shitty. So Fred is eventually charged with her murder. Okay. Okay. Um, A judge ordered a change of venue to Adams County because of the extensive media coverage um, that they had received. And because, I mean, he was a cop there. He was not going to get a fair trial. Blah, blah, blah. So a trial commences. Okay. And there was a witness for the prosecution by the name of Donald Martindale. And he testified under oath that he heard Rourke say, quote, I didn't mean to kill her. I didn't mean to get her pregnant. Now, Martindale says the statements were made in June of 1974 at a restaurant where he worked. He said that um, Fred was extremely drunk and like so drunk that he actually passed out in the booth like he was wasted drunk and that he was talking to friends when he made the alleged remarks, okay? So he detailed telling the story. He he delayed, I'm sorry. He didn't tell cops that this happened like for several weeks. Um, And Rourke's attorney on cross-examination will say that he had been arrested twice by Rourke and he was like this horrible, bad criminal and that's why he was saying this, blah, 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 whatever, okay? So, but ultimately, like I said before, everything that they had was completely circumstantial. Right. None of it, none of it met the criteria for behind, beyond a shadow of doubt but or a reasonable again, doubt. 
He's a cop, so did we expect anything <laughs> different? Right. Right. Tell me who would be the perfect criminal. Somebody who knows what Absolutely. you're looking for. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a jury found him not guilty at a trial in Adams County in Quincy. Okay, so he's found not guilty. The Belleville News Democrat reports that the state's attorney's office considers the Sabrina Jean Kane case permanently closed, primarily because it believes that Rourke was guilty, that there was never any true physical evidence to tie anybody to the murder, but there was definitely circumstantial evidence that tied Fred Rourke to, to the murder. But it ends the quote by saying, Fred was a cop. I mean, just what you just said. Like, I mean, he knew what to do and he knew how to do it. And he knew how to make sure that there wasn't going to be any evidence. So Fred Rourke died on November 15th, 1978 at the age of 36 in a vehicle accident. Um, he was buried next to Sabrina. Get fucked. <laughs> Get fucked. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, there's there's more to it. There's more interviews and more stories, but it's all pretty much like just regurgitating pretty much the same thing over and over and over again. You know, that, I mean, it's the same. Everybody had the same thing to say about Fred. And I, there's so many things that I'm just like, I don't understand. I don't understand like how little is said about Lorraine. Is she alive? No, no, no. I told you in the very beginning she died. Oh, I missed that. She, okay. she died in um, 2008 or something. She was like 71. Oh, okay. Um, and and after, after Fred died, she did get married again. And um, she was the mother to three stepdaughters. So, but man, I mean, you want to talk about tragedy. You want to talk about absolute tragedy. I mean, from the get-go. Well, like, and like you said, we have what four interviews we do so there are i mean people that are still fighting for her mm -hmm. and still like very 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 much love her <clears throat> yes enough to have a conversation with us this Absolutely. started with a conversation with one person and as i'm talking to this person they're like can you t are you okay talking to so and so like we aren't asking for this like these people want to tell her story. Her story. Yeah. And you know, though, what is really like, I was like. Which is powerful. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. And it's so cool. It's very, I mean, because she deserves to have a voice and she deserves, I mean, she deserves some, some sort of closure. I don't know. I don't know how we're going to get it. Here's the other thing, though, that I don't, that I'm not wrapping my head around is if it was, if it was Fred, and I believe that it was, I believe that it was Fred. If it was Fred, he died right after the trial. Like he, I mean, he died in seventy eight. Why didn't Lorraine find her voice after that? It's your kid. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Or or and what the hell is and up with Bob? And what did Lorraine know? I yeah. Yeah. I mean, people know. People know what people know. And they're not saying. Lorraine knows. Now, do you want to know what I think happened? What? This is what I think happened. If I was... Because I have a theory too. So it's if, if they match. If I was to guess. 
I, I would guess that mama was at work being a waitress all the time. And Fred, I believe, was sexually assaulting Sabrina. I think beautiful. she was absolutely beautiful. I think that he was raping her. I agree. I think that what the matter with her was is that she thought that she was pregnant. She was not. The autopsy came back and the physical exam said that she was not. But I think that she probably thought that she was pregnant or was afraid that she was going to get pregnant. And when she was 18, she wanted the hell out of there. Right. And I think that he was probably scared to death, number one, of losing her. And access to her. And number two, of anybody finding out about it. Right. And I think that he killed her. I think that he... I think that she... I'm just going to add this real quick. She said she was leaving. And if he didn't let her leave. And was holding all this stuff over her head. That she was going to tell people. Yep. And he shot her. And that was his way out. Yep. He shot her in the back of the head. Execution style. He shot her in the back. He shot her in the shoulder. He shot her and tied her hands. But I don't know if I don't know if he tied her hands behind her back before or after. I don't know. The autopsy didn't didn't show that. But I mean, I absolutely I absolutely believe that that happened. But here's the other thing: is is I I absolutely believe that Lorraine knew exactly what was going on in that house. There's no way that she couldn't have. So the fact that it's only two feet of water, I don't think that he didn't want her to ever be found. I think he wanted her to be underwater enough that it was hard to tell anything. Well, and so that because that's let's... my question, though, That and hopefully Jimmy will be able to answer this question tomorrow, is I don't know Illinois weather well enough, but... December, January, February, water is frozen. And especially two and a half feet of water, would that not have been frozen? Yeah, I mean, probably. And so, I don't, is it, is it a, like, a pond that's fed somehow, or? Like a stream fed that it's running water almost? I don't, I don't know, but, and, but again, I don't know the weather in Illinois, but that is one question that I have is, I mean, about the pond being frozen, or, or if, I mean, water here doesn't get, I don't know. I just, I don't know about that. I, but that's a question that I have because two and a half feet of water. I mean, we, we water our cows and it's more than two and a half feet of water in our water tank and it will freeze without a tank heater. Right. So I just don't, that's a question that I have though. I mean, did it, was it thaw and I don't know, but that's a question that I have. Yeah. Because it says in one of the reports that they drained the pond. Well, yeah, because they didn't find her until March. So if she went missing in February, well, it would it depending on the weather that year, it would have been frozen, wouldn't it have? But maybe that's why she wasn't found. No, I'm saying if she was killed on February 5th, how would they have gotten her body in the pond? Unless the body was moved. Unless she was put somewhere else and then the body was moved. Because it was had been long enough for her to be found now. Right. I don't know. It's a, it's a heartbreaking case. It's totally heartbreaking. And it would be, I mean, it would be interesting to see 
it would be interesting to see it wouldn't be I don't want to see it but it would be interesting to know when the rope was tied around her wrist was it tied before she before she was killed or after she was killed and if it was after she was killed how much after she was killed was it was it put on because that's an interesting theory that she was killed somewhere and left for a little while and then moved to the pond later. Fred Rourke was seen around that pond quite a bit. But it's con- it's pretty normal to see people out there hunting and whatever. I don't I don't understand that part. It's pretty vegetated, pretty dense area from what I've read, which again is very limited. It was 1970, so records are not what they are. <clears throat> it's also very interesting how little coverage this case has had. Yeah. Very, very, very little. Mm-hmm. Very little. So there's that. Ugh. It's brutal. So um, we do have some interviews tomorrow um, with... Um, like I said, Kim, who is uh, Sabrina's little sister, and with a gentleman by the name of Jimmy. And she was his babysitter. And she was his babysitter. And he is being very, very instrumental in the creation of a documentary, um, trying to, um, you know, just bring some information and some attention to this case and we're going to do whatever we can to help them. A hundred percent. And, you know, Kim just wants to know who her sister is. She just wants to know who she was. So. And we've got a couple other ones, but like we yeah. said, so um, one of the interviews will be on, on Spotify. And then the other ones you can find on Patreon if you, mm-hmm. if you want to continue hearing more, which we hope you do because yeah. Sabrina needs a voice. It's been way too long for people not to be talking about this. I know. Way too long. Way too long. And it's, I don't know. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. I wanted to find information about Sabrina that was like, she was five feet, seven inches tall and weighed 120 pounds with long blonde hair that, you know, went to her, you know, the top of her pants. And she liked soccer and da da and I can't I can't find any of that because that's just not out there so I mean if anybody knows any information like that like anything like that like please just shoot us a dm and let us know so we can pass it on to Kim like anything at all you know any funny memory or any anything at all because this I'm I imagine this will go on her um school um graduation like reunion page on Facebook and stuff they have a page that's like dedicated for um, to Sabrina. So if anybody has memories like that, anything at all, like anything at all that you can remember about her, good or bad at all, please let us know so that Kim can know. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So thanks for sitting through this with us. Um, listen to the other episodes. We'll be back with more information. With Sabrina. more, for sure. So thanks for joining us. Thank you guys. Stay safe. <laughs>